Hello, this is Daniel Foytek, and welcome to Season 2, Episode number 12 of The Lift. We've been gone for a little while, and I appreciate everybody's patience. I know waiting for an elevator seems to take forever sometimes, and it's been no different for our lift this season. Unfortunately, we've had some personal challenges this season, which did end up resulting in some production delays, and rather than have the quality of the show suffer, we felt it was best to take a step back get caught up on some of the things in our personal lives, as well as get some editing done on the stories and time for proper production. So what do we have planned for you for the rest of the season? Well, we have nine more stories. Tonight's is the first of those nine, Slipping Away by Lee Foreman. Then we're going to have Scars by John Grills, A Red Ring for a Winter's Eve by Gwendolyn Keist, The Future Behind by Tony Serechia, Non-Binary by yours truly, The Tin Heart by Brooklyn Wara, and we have a surprise episode I'm not ready to tell you about quite yet, but it's an author who has another podcast and whose writing I greatly admire, so we have invited her to write an episode of The Lift for this season, which I'm sure you guys are going to enjoy. We also have The Season Closer by Cynthia Lohman. Now, that doesn't add up to nine, does it? Well, because you guys on Patreon have been so great in supporting us, you've been so patient with us this season, we wanted to do something a little bit special for you, so I am actually going to be writing a sequel to a story from last season. Or actually, I guess prequel is probably a better term. Last season, I wrote a story called The Storm. There's a backstory to that and I am going to be writing a story called Before the Storm, and that will be a Patreon exclusive. So that is going to be just for our fans on Patreon who support us, who've allowed us to make some of the much needed equipment upgrades and have been patient with us while we took a little bit of a break to get caught up on things. We've already planned out season three. We have the authors all lined up. We know the dates for air and everything like that. So my expectation is season three is gonna be a lot smoother. Now, we've got all that out of the way. I do want to say a big thank you to everyone who took the time to rate and review the show in iTunes since we've been gone. And of course, to all the new Patreon supporters that we've picked up. Your support really does make the show possible. Thank you so much for those who are supporting the show. If you would like to support the show and help us get to our goals for season three, you can do that at patreon.com forward slash Victoria's Lift. If you support the show, we do have fun rewards like bookmarks, as well as a special Patreon-only version of the show. And at the $5 a month and above level, you get bonus audio and more. Things like messages from Victoria, pictures of yourself with Victoria, and so on. You can check out all the fun rewards and decide what level works for you at patreon.com forward slash Victoria's Lift. Now, without further ado... We'll let Lee say hello, 
and then we'll go for a ride. again be the little girl I was. I have my music box and a library lost, but I sometimes feel very alone. Won't you join me? It's time for your ride on the lift. She said control was an illusion. That no matter how much you want, there's no way to make things work out. She said life was a futile effort made in vain by anyone stupid enough to try. I looked down at my desk and clasped my hands. And this is the last thing she said before she left. Mr. Michael Ross, the chronically depressed divorcee, cupped his hands over his face and sobbed. There are things you can't control. That's reality. But it doesn't mean you can't do anything about it. What are you saying? He sniveled. You may not be able to control everything, but you can influence things. Influence things? Absolutely. He looked down, rubbed his chin. I could see the realization I'd planted in his head grow break through the soil and reach for the brilliance of sunlight. It's what we do, I said. We create diversions and distractions to make us forget the nature of existence. We do this every day. Self-awareness can be a curse, but also an opportunity. I could tell by his red-eyed stare he didn't quite understand. But somewhere deep in his brain, a chord had been struck. Its vibration would surely reach his conscious mind, given time. I want you to go home. Change something in your life. It doesn't have to be anything major. Maybe eat something different for breakfast, or rearrange your furniture. Anything you feel comfortable with. See how it makes you feel. If you find it to be a positive experience, do it again. Okay, Michael said. I'll give it a try. Very good. See Lara on your way out and make an appointment for next week. I look forward to hearing how it goes. Thank you, Dr. Powell. I think I feel a little better already. Glad to hear it. At the end of the day, I walked along my wall of achievements, my frame degree, 
tennis trophies, all the things that made me who I am. It was a daily ritual to clear my thoughts, escape the grueling repetition of my work. I didn't care much for Philip's anxiety or Sarah's self-loathing or Clark's alcoholism. They didn't know real pain. Give me your depressed, your insured, your neurotic masses. (laughs) I laughed at my own words, but a cold breeze touched my neck with its subtle fingers, solidifying the warm humor. Strange. I didn't open the window. Turning around, the cool night air assaulted my face. I slammed the pane shut. I didn't want to see any open windows. Didn't even want to think of them. To hell with the past. I slipped into my coat and left the office. The waiting room was silent and empty, just the way I liked it. I turned off the lights, locked the door, and headed to the elevator. When I pressed the call button, it didn't light up as usual. I pushed again, harder. Still nothing. After momentarily tapping my foot on the carpet with my arms crossed, I accepted that the elevator wasn't coming. (sighs) I guess I'll have to take the stairs. After a long day of listening to people whine about their problems, I had no desire to spiral down on foot. I got plenty of exercise at the gym, walking down the sterile white staircase. I realized I'd never gone this way. The metal stairs echoed in the tall, square enclosure. It reminded me of the repetitious complaints of my patients. Even my own responses had become monotone. That's why I decided to give old Mr. Ross such a wordy response to his woes. I didn't give a shit about him or his ex-wife. Just wanted to change things up a bit. At least his wife is still around. Somewhere. When I pushed through the exit door on the first floor, I found myself not in the lobby, but in some old run-down place that looked like the entrance to a slum. The shiny floor was gone, replaced by worn tiles and a beat-up runner which had left its best days far behind. The bright modern lights that normally mounted to the walls were instead old-fashioned sconces with gold frames. On one end of the room was an antique elevator. On the other, a revolving door. I was in a completely different place. The stairs must lead to a different part of the building. Must be a rear or side entrance I didn't know about. The modern high-rise I was used to spending my eight hours a day in must have been built around an existing structure. The room I now occupied was most likely the original entrance. The revolving glass door was blacked out with paint. I couldn't see a thing beyond it. I pushed my hand against its old frame to see if it worked. It squeaked in protest, but turned with ease. I pushed my way through, only to find myself back in the same lobby. I stood still, considered what had just happened but shook it off and went back through the door. Again, I ended up where I started. Thrusting with both arms, I shoved the door and watched it spin. 
When it slowed, I took a deep breath, got back in, and propelled my way around and around, watching the dim lights of the same room pass by. I only gave up when I lost my balance and stumbled back into the lobby. The chime of a bell rang from behind. I turned to see the antique iron doors of an old lift open. Intricately designed, they held a personality of inviting warmth, far removed from the cold steel of the modern elevator I took every day. A light flickered inside and illuminated its intricate wallpaper. A red and gold motif adorned the surface. Move along then, a man's voice spoke at my back. Palpitations racked my chest. My breath hitched and became labored. I turned to face the man. Uh, You startled me. I didn't see anyone else in here. What are you doing here anyway? I know. I know. The elevator is out. You took the wrong stairs. I scratched the back of my neck. Yeah, seems to be the case. Come along then, this way. He motioned toward the old lift. That'll take you where you need to go. Uh, Thanks. I appreciate it. I stepped into the box, and the gates closed behind me. Without any action on my part, the hum of machinery moved the lift upward. I questioned the safety of the archaic contraption, but it was too late. I was along for the ride. The dial above the door stopped at five, and the doors opened. I wanted to go to the lobby, get out of the building, but the lift had made another choice. I walked out into a hallway that looked familiar. More than that, it had that intimacy of direct memory of my having been there before. But as to my location in the building, I had no idea, and I couldn't pinpoint what disturbed my gut about the walls around me. Voices filled the air, a din of laughter Stories, small talk, all compiled into a single stream of ambient noise drifting through the hall like mist. The memory of scent reached my tongue, and it was the sweet flavor of that cacophony of words that pulled me forward. It followed it like a hungry animal, adrift and suspicious. I couldn't make out any detail in the recollection. My whetted appetite was all-consuming. I was torn away from my hunt by the voice of a young girl. You look lost. She giggled. (laughs) I looked down to see her, strangely clothed in a purple dress, big child eyes staring up at me. I suppose I am. I knelt so we were eye level. You wouldn't know the way to the main lobby, would you? She placed a finger on her chin. I like games. Would you like to play one? I smiled at her. No, I'm sorry, little one. I have no time for games. I need to get home. Where are your parents? She stepped past me and skipped down the hall. Come this way, she said as her form pranced away. When she got to the end of the corridor, she turned around, a strange smile on her face. Come on, silly. We haven't got all night. I followed her hoping I'd get some insight from a competent adult on how the hell to find my way out. Right through this door, please. (laughs) She giggled. I turned the handle, and as soon as it cracked open, I knew I was lost more than I could fathom. 
what was there shouldn't have been couldn't have been but there it was my old office identical in every way to the one I held three years ago every piece of furniture in its place every book on the shelf it was all there my old office had been located downtown there was no way it could be in the same building but somehow I was standing in it the phone on my desk rang when I answered only heavy breathing came through the speaker hello who is this the line went dead with a click you should have paid more attention the girl said in a sing-song voice I saw her sitting in the chair across from my desk the one where I normally sat who are you do you have any candy she moved her head side to side legs kicking back and forth off the edge of the seat <laughs> I, I, I know what's going on here I said laughing I've fallen asleep in my office chair, and this is a lucid dream. This isn't a dream, she said with an insistent voice. But you have been sleeping. It's time to wake up. Her words crawled under my skin like phantom insects. It wasn't just the words, but the way she spoke, with a tone of finality. The phone rang again, and my body went rigid. I knew what was coming. The dates on my desk calendar had all been crossed out, except June the 18th. I didn't want to answer, but my hand reached out and picked up the receiver anyway. David, please come, Audrey pleaded. I heard myself speak, but couldn't control what I said. It was a mirror response of my memory. I can't. You know I'm having dinner with Bill and some of the guys tonight. Please? Can't you cancel just this once? I need you. I'll be there later. She ended the call. The last call. I watched my hand place the receiver down, trying to will it back to my ear so I could say those few words I never got to speak. But I couldn't change fate. When I looked up from my desk, the little girl was gone. The lamp on the desk brightened, casting a burning white glow that blanketed every surface of the room. Even with my eyes shut, it penetrated my fleshy lids as though they were glass. Then, as quickly as it came, it went out, leaving me in dark silence. I tried to leave, but when I opened the door, it led to the room I was already in. There was no other door. A singular entrance and exit that led to the same place. An impossibility my mind couldn't reconcile. The only other exit was the window. I glanced in its direction, but looked away in disgust. I hated windows especially open ones. My heart raced as I looked through the doorway only to see myself standing in the replicant office as if I were looking into a mirror 
rather than through a door. My own form stared me down with blackened eyes, devoid of life. Then I saw myself as I truly was. My own eyes were mirrors that no visage could penetrate. I was a stone house surrounded by a solid wall. My only concern had always been what was inside that wall. But I felt no disgust, no remorse. I am who I am, and that's fine by me. But it wasn't fine for your wife, was it? I turned to see the strange girl sitting in my office chair. What do you know about my wife? I know all kinds of things. The statement carried unsettling weight, and I believed her without doubt. I couldn't hide from the feeling that she had insight beyond the ability of not only a child, but of any person I'd encountered before. Even her youthful voice sang with profound wisdom. So you know it wasn't my fault. Things don't necessarily have to be your fault for you to have done wrong. The lamp in the room brightened just as it had done before, but this time a high-pitched tone accompanied it. I didn't know whether to cover my eyes or ears. Both suffered an agonizing pain. Everything washed away. The office around me, the city, the universe, and time itself, all consumed by light and sound. The tone's pitch deepened, and I recognized it, the blaring horn of a Ford pickup. It came right for us that night, head on. Its driver, drunk beyond recognition, came barreling down the wrong side of Route 52 on the way back from our hiking trip that summer. We'd gone to Craigsmore to see the ice caves. The man in the truck got off with nothing more than a hangover the next day. I walked away with broken bones and an insurance claim. Audrey never walked again. Once the memory played out, I was left in a blinding white void where my thoughts echoed aloud. That's what she loved. She loved to walk, hike, travel on foot, tromp through the woods and up the mountains and along the streams. She was always exploring. I was always dragged along. What were your thoughts when she came home? Her voice ripped me from my inner self and back into the office. Only, I was the one sitting on the other side of the desk where the patients normally sat. What do you mean? I asked. Can you remember? Her voice took on an authoritative and apathetic tone. I searched my thoughts, but all that came were flashes of that truck's headlights and the twisted flesh and metal aftermath. Reluctant hospital visits, paperwork and phone calls, taking Audrey home from the hospital in that damn wheelchair. What did you think about? I thought. You thought about yourself. She had the right answer. I folded my hands in my lap. I didn't mean to. It just just happened. Good intentions aren't the same as actions. Who is this girl? What is this place? How the hell did I even get here? She answered my thoughts as though I had said them aloud. 
You are here to make a choice. My palms moistened. Some people decide to walk through the door. Others do not. Some decide to go out a window. She said nothing as she stared into my eyes. Two black mirrors which held all emotion within blocked everything else out. She saw right through me. I looked down, unable to hold her gaze. She knew too much. Made me dive too deep into my own psyche. That was my job. And I had no problem doing it to others. But I didn't like being on the other side of the desk. Not at all. I was being psychoanalyzed by a weird little kid in a place that only made sense in memory, not physical reality. She knew my mind, and I knew nothing of her. They didn't teach this in abnormal psychology, that's for sure. I want you to recall everything before you decide. Decide what? We'll get to that. For now, just remember. She opened the desk drawer, took out a music box, and placed it on the desk facing me. The top opened on its own as if by ghostly hands, and a green glow emanated from inside. A somber dirge played. The room washed away, and I remembered. Audrey. Her face sculpted by lament despite the morning sun shining through the hospital window. She just stared outside, paralyzed from the waist down, chained by fate to that prison with wheels. I, tethered to her cell by emotional umbilical, our oath of marriage, expected to care and nurture, forever in bondage. I had to play the role, had to be the good husband, but I was a lousy actor. When I took her home, it wasn't her adjustment which first came to mind. My synapse is automatically directed to how it would affect me. How was I going to deal with it? What were the consequences? How much of my well-deserved income was it going to cost? I told her she was lucky to be alive, that it could have been worse. I didn't pay attention to her depression until after she pulled herself out the third story window of our house. How did I not see? It was in my life, in my home. They found her wheelchair at the base of the window, a curtain rod on the floor next to it, which she'd used to push open the window. The only thing she'd left behind was a note that read, If I can't walk, maybe I can fly. She's gone. She didn't even know I cared. I didn't even know I cared. She's not gone if you remember her. The childish voice seemed softer, wiser. She had a point. You were too busy worrying about yourself. You ignored the signs. I didn't ignore them. I just didn't see her. She reached out to you. She tried. I couldn't argue. So what do you want? There's nothing I can do about it now. A not-so-wise man once said that even when we can't control things, we can influence them. 
we can make changes in our lives. For the first time, I saw my true self. It wasn't like looking at a reflection, more like being outside my body, viewing it all from afar. The window was open, just as it had been that night. The cool breeze felt liberating against my hot flesh. I stood at the window of my old office and leaned forward. <laughs>